Wilson, say hi. <coughs> Good boy. Kitty's my aesthetic. Branding, marketing, entrepreneurship. You're listening to the Kiss My Aesthetic Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Winterstein of MKW Creative Co., where we build bragworthy brands for social media-minded entrepreneurs, and you are in the right spot for branding, marketing, entrepreneurship advice that you can apply in your own business to better reach your ideal client online. Let's get to today's episode. Welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic Podcast, the special edition, the mini-sode, the Cis My Aesthetic Sarah Winterstein, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Anytime. Hi to the fans. Hey, fans. Hey from my closet. Hey from the closet. Hey from the dining table. We're making it work. We have a really uh, highly requested episode today about how to identify client red flags. We both had this happen within the last week in our own businesses, respectively. And I also posed the question in the Facebook group, and we got a lot of questions about how to gracefully handle transitioning away from a client that may not be a good fit for your business. But for context, can you tell the people about your business and your how you started and kind of where you're at now. Absolutely. Um, so I own my own full service wedding planning company. So I've been doing that for almost four years now. I think I just hit the three and a half mark. I started pretty much right out of college, um, decided that wedding planning was something that I really loved and that the wedding world was something that I've always been obsessed with. I mean, you can attest to how many episodes of Say Yes to the Dress I have personally watched and made our family watch. So it's always been a passion of mine. I've really always wanted to get into it. So um, right out of college, just was working a ton of odds and ends jobs in the wedding industry, working for another wedding planner, working for a floral company, an invitation company, just kind of doing anything I could get my hands on. Um, And then once I felt like I knew enough, I started my own business. And now here we are killer. And you've also had a lot of similar experiences to me in that we kind of go back and forth when there's a client, we end up calling each other and we're like, oh my gosh, you won't believe what this client said or what this client did. And how do I handle this? And our mom as well is usually a good resource to figure out like, all right, how do we gracefully bow out of this opportunity? And I think when you're just starting or in your first few years of business, you don't always know what to do or what to say, because it feels really intimidating to say no to a cash making like money making opportunity. But there's so many good questions in the Facebook group. And I kind of want to jump in there first and kind of read the question and then we can kind of deliberate back and forth. Uh, But one of the first questions was, how do you differentiate between a client who's willing to reform their mess and a client who wants to dump their mess on someone else? The context here is that this person is a consultant and the reason they got hired is because this client is a disaster and they clearly needed their help. And they said, Hey, consultant, come in here and help me clean up my mess. But it sounds like there's this weird um, tipping point of how do you encourage them that they need to fix these things in order to be successful versus someone who just wants to completely offload their mess on you. Do you want to take this on or should I? <laughs> sure. Does it matter? The question at the end is how long slash hard do you work to get them to see the light before you just decide this is too messy? I think this, and I'm sure, I mean, I think it's a wedding problem that's unique to the wedding planning industry, but it's probably not. But I had a really hard time for a really long time 
trying to get people to do things the way I thought that they should be done because especially with weddings, it's, there's a lot of focus on like, it's your day, whatever you want to happen happens or whatever you think, you know, so it's all about the couple and the bride and them, you know, it's whatever they want. So for a long time, I always was like, yes, yes, yes. And I never even was trying to get them to fix their mess. I was like facilitating their mess because that's what they wanted. And there's this whole, uh, or of like, I'm here to serve you and I'm here to make your wedding dreams come true and your perfect day come true. And it wasn't until like maybe a year or two in that I realized that you can one say to no to people and two tell them that they have bad ideas and that you have to realize that they hired you for your expertise and your opinion and your profession and your experience and all that stuff. And once I'd done enough weddings, I could go to my clients and be like, I know you want to do it this way. And I know in your head, it makes sense, but I'm going to tell you how it, like what's going to happen if you do it this way. Um, I mean, I just had a meeting this morning where again, this is super niche problem uh, with my clients where we were talking about doing assigned seating and a seated dinner versus a cocktail style reception. And they wanted to do assigned seating with a cocktail style reception. And I was like, those things don't go together. And here are all the problems that are going to happen if we do it the way that you want to do it. I'm not saying we can't do it your way. I'm not saying I won't do it your way. I'm just here to lay out my professional opinion and tell you exactly the things that I think are going to go wrong and the things that aren't going to align with your big picture of what you want for your wedding day, if we do it your way. And that's where the expertise comes into play because you've now been doing this long enough. You've done enough weddings to be able to anticipate the problems that the client won't be able to see coming from the perspective of, well, why wouldn't we be able to do it that way? And I think with this person in particular, I know them personally, and I think their situation, their client's really old school. And so the client doesn't necessarily trust that the suggestions being made are the ones that are actually going to move the needle in their business. So there's this weird push and pull of like, yeah, I hired you to fix this, but also I don't feel like taking your advice. I don't know. That's a really tough one. Yeah. On to the next one. It is hard. It is hard. There are some easier questions in here, but that one was kind of a heavy hit right from the top. Um, this one is design related. And I think you, you might have some good insight here. How do you know whether a client who's asking for a discount actually values you and genuinely can't afford it? or they don't value the service and they just want to get it done on the cheap. I think that people who value you won't ask for discounts. Amen. That was my answer as well. I think a lot of the time with the wedding industry, there's this stereotype that people should shop around and bargain shop and try to get all these different quotes from all these different vendors. And that is the fastest way to make someone's price go up, not go down because vendors don't want to feel like you're shopping around. They want to feel like you want to work with them for them, not because they had the cheapest price on the market. Absolutely. I think that comes off in your positioning as well, because as a business owner, the, every time that you kind of bend, um, you are giving someone permission for how to treat you. So I am a big believer in under promise over deliver. My prices are my prices, but I go above and beyond for the clients that I love. And I think that that part in the conversation in that discovery call and explaining why your prices are the way that they are, Um, But ultimately, if someone's going to try to penny pinch you and ask for discounts and, well, I don't really need a font system. Can you take that off my menu, off my services? No, no. Like you don't get to pick and choose. This isn't an a la carte thing. I think the biggest thing when that happens and clients come and ask, because I get that all the time. Clients come and ask me, well, I already know who I want for my cake person to be. So can you take off 
the fee of the service of finding a bakery, even though it, I don't line item my contracts, it's just one big fee. And it's just an education process of telling them like my, again, my prices are my prices. This is why I charge what I charge. And just because you know who you want to use as your bakery, that's great. But I'm still going to have to talk to them about guest count and numbers and flavors and what time can they come set up and who's going to be cutting the cake and how much cake are we going to have at the end of the night and schedules and timelines and all of that stuff. So that doesn't make my job any easier. So I'm sure for you, if they don't want font design or whatever, it doesn't make your job any easier in the whole encompassing big picture. So it's just educating them. of If this is what you want your end result to be, this is my price and kind of educating them on your value and why you priced it the way you did. I think that's interesting too, because like you said at the beginning, like if a client is asking for a discount, but you think that they value what you do and maybe they just can't afford it, then that's not an ideal client. (laughs) An ideal client is someone who sees your work, knows what you cost and is saving every penny if that's the case to be able to work with you because they believe in paying you what you're worth. So there's, I think some positioning issues happening there of not, um, education issues, educating the client on why you charge what you do. And then positioning as yourself as saying, you know, I've got this much experience doing this. I've had this many clients before where I've done something similar. And I feel really confident that my prices are competitive based on the value. Don't get me wrong. In my first year of business, I discounted people left and right. They were like, well, I, you know, I really need a planner, but my budget's only this, or, um, you're kind of new. So can you take X amount off your price? And I would do it all the time. Those are my least favorite weddings I've ever done. You won't see a single picture of them on my website or my portfolio, because those were the brides that didn't value any of their vendors. They were just trying to bargain shop their way through their wedding, which I get that not everyone can have a super nice lavish wedding, but they were just hiring based off price, not based off of personality or quality or anything. Yeah. I think it's kind of, I kind of call it the Groupon phenomenon because you think that as a business owner, signing up for Groupon is going to be a great idea because you're going to get so many new clients to your massage studio, to your yoga studio, to your photography business, whatever it is. Like there's this idea of, Oh, volume, volume, volume. And it's much more, I think when you're designing something original and unique, it's quality over quantity, 100%. And if that person doesn't want to pay for you at your dollar amount, why would they ever come back to you for repeat business if they know that really like, and I do this too, right? Like you're like, Oh, I'm going to go. I found this group on for a yoga class and it's, it's only $20 for 10 classes instead of 80. It's like, okay, well then why would I ever pay 80? If you've now business owner told me that the value of your classes is 20. Like, even if I love the studio, my, I've like psychologically assigned the value is not as advertised. Um, but the value is then like, okay, well how cheap can I get it for? And it really kind of ruins, I think your the whole morale and the whole community building around your brand because then people talk. And they say, oh, she did it for that? Well, she did it for that for me. And I had this happen once with a client where they said, okay, well, I noticed that you quoted so-and-so X, but you quoted me XX. And I said, yeah, you know, my business has changed since then. I've brought on a team. I've, I've gotten better and faster at my job. And these are just my current rates. And I totally understand if you need to find someone else. And I think with all of these clients, and we'll get into this question as well, having an exit strategy that kind of saves your reputation is key which is actually feeds really nicely into the next question. How do you ensure you don't get a negative review? I don't know. I've never gotten one. Uh, me either. Me either. Knock on wood. 
I think that if you feel like there's enough red flags, you feel a project going sideways, the best way to ensure that you don't get a negative review is to give the client an out. Like give them an opportunity to quit you before you quit them because nobody likes to feel taken advantage of. Nobody likes to feel uh, swindled or misled. So if you feel like the project's already going sideways, stopping and saying, hey, can we have a powwow and figure out this doesn't really seem to be, we're not communicating efficiently or it seems like you're really unhappy. Like how can I either fix this or maybe we need to decide that somebody else is going to be a better fit. And how long into the, how many red flags is too many into that where you're like, eh, ding, ding, ding. Do you have kind of a set? It's mainly gut feeling. Couples are always told to hire people who they get along with because you'll find a million and one wedding planners who charge probably exactly as I charge, but um, are you going to get along with every one of them? So if I get along with a bride I'm kind of, or a couple that I'm talking on the phone with, I'm like, okay, I know that we're going to be good. And if I don't get along with the bride or they just don't have, they don't value the same things that I value in the wedding planning process, then that's when my like red flags start to go off. I, you know, think it's important to have certain things at your wedding. And sometimes people are like, I'm going to do it this way. And there's no right way or wrong way, but you just have to realize that there's going to be a perfect fit for everyone, but you're not that perfect fit for everyone. So every single client that inquires with you is not going to be your perfect client and you're not going to be the perfect planner for them either. So I think it's just important to always, when you're screening clients and screening inquiries, always kind of keep that ideal client, perfect client in mind of like, do they value the same things as I do? Do they have a similar style? Are we, do we get along? Do we have similar personalities? All that kind of stuff. Because I mean, that's for me is when I run into issues is when they are describing this, this is my dream wedding day. This is exactly what I want to happen at my wedding. And it's something that's so far out of the realm of what I like to do and what I like to plan that I'm like, this doesn't even sound fun for me. So like, I don't even know if I would do a good job for you if my heart and my passion and my, and I'm not excited about it, I would rather them work with someone who's excited about their wedding. Exactly. And I think it's the same thing with brand design. I've really got to believe in the business and see the vision. And if I don't see the vision, it becomes a, a much rockier hill to climb because I'd rather work with someone who's got their shit dialed in. They know exactly who their client is. They know exactly what they want their brand to look like. They know exactly how they're going to execute it. They already have an existing audience. Like these to me are the green flags, like green for go. Um, And it's more of a red flag when somebody says, yeah, I don't really have my business name and I don't really know how many hours I'm going to do this. And I'm, this is a really big investment. And like when there's that trepidation, that's usually a red flag for me because it's someone who's not in the right place in their business to, in my opinion, make that kind of investment. And you're not going to see the value in it if you're not ready to invest in it. And I'm not going to sit here and convince necessarily of value because I do that every day through social media. (laughs) That's kind of the social media side of it. But I think, uh, exactly what you said. You have to know, I have to really know who my ideal client is. And just yesterday I said no to a project that really checked 80% of the boxes, but there was just one part of it that I was like, that's just barely outside of my ideal client avatar. And for that reason, I'm going to have to like take a step back because I would love to help you. And it sounds great, but this part doesn't align. And I know that saying no to that project opens the door to a project that it is a better fit and time allocated that is a better fit for myself and my team. Somebody asked, uh, biggest struggle is how do you gracefully end a longer-term partnership and provide specific feedback as to what or who the reason is 
for ending it without sounding rude. I know we just had this talk last week because I was going back and forth with an inquiry for about two months, which one is is a red flag within itself. It shouldn't take more than a week to book someone. But we were going back and forth. She had a million questions for me and a million questions all the time and all that stuff. And I came to the decision where I was like, I don't don't even want her to book me. Like, I don't want to take on this wedding. And we talked about how to position it to where you take it off of you and put it on the client of like, here's why I'm not a good fit for you. Here's how I'm going to still serve you and act in your best interest by allowing you to go work with someone else who is going to be a better fit and kind of taking that responsibility off of you and kind of placing it in the client's hands of like, I, I mean, you just kind of have to like, not throw yourself under the bus. Don't like self-deprecate yourself, but just say like, I can't execute on what you're, I can't meet your expectations. I'm not a good fit for you. I want you to work with someone who's going to be great. Who's going to help you reach your vision, blah, 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 everything. And kind of take that off of you and put it onto them of like, here's why I'm not good for you. Right. And part of that as well, and I think as women entrepreneurs too, we're so cautious of this because we really don't want to piss people off and we don't want hard feelings. But I think as direct as possible is a great approach. Instead of trying to sugarcoat it, beat around the bush or hang on to a contract that isn't a good fit just because you don't want to feel like you're coming off as rude or short or whatever. At the end of the day, this is business and a business owner will respect if you're straight up with them and you say, Hey, listen, for these, 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 and these reasons, I don't feel that this is going to be a good idea anymore. And there's, and part of the exit strategy is like, help them with that next step. Is it handing over files? that are halfway done because you got halfway through the process and it just wasn't working. And I like to do that sometimes depends on the client where it's like, Hey, you've already paid for the work up until this point. I'm happy that like, here, go for it, run with it. Like, absolutely. Like it's your business. I want you to be happy. I just won't be able to execute what you're looking for. And for that reason, you need to go find someone who better understands what you're after because I don't think it's going to be me. Um, and, and I think that that, again, that kind of avoids the whole negative review thing. The last thing you want to do is like ghost someone. I mean, there's just so many horror stories I've heard from clients who said, oh, I was working with this designer and I sent them some revisions and then I never heard from them again. And I've already paid them in full. And it's like, God, that sucks. I just, because the wedding industry is so heavily referral based and it's all, word of mouth. Like, I mean, yes, there's reviews online, but it's all just like what people are saying about you. If I'm quitting a client mid project, which I've only done once, like they already hired me. I've already started planning everything like that. I give them the refund of their retainer, even though contractually I'm not uh, like obligated to, I don't have to give them back that refund of the deposit, but I'm just like, listen, again, I'm not going to be the best fit for you after looking at this project a little bit more and thinking about it. I don't think I'm going to be able to execute your wedding day to your standards. Here's your deposit back. You can keep all of the planning material we've done this far, but like, this is where we part ways. And I've, I mean, the one time I did it, she was very respectful and responsive to that and was like, thank you so much for letting us know. Like, we definitely want to work with someone who's going to be able to execute our wedding. Because like, why would you want to work someone, work with someone who doesn't want to work with you? And why do you want to keep money from someone who's unhappy with you? That to me is weird too. And not to say that you should refund anybody that's like, "Mm, I don't like my logo. Give me my money back. Hell no. Hell no. But treat people like people. I can be reasonable, be understanding. And if that person like 
would be better served by getting their deposit back, then, then that makes a certain amount of sense. I think it just comes down to using your best judgment and treating your client the way that you would want to be treated if you were in their shoes uh, and kind of figure out how to, to navigate it from there. This question says, how do you deal with projects where the client broke up with you because they didn't like your work anymore because it's not what they were looking for? So kind of similar to what we were talking about and requests all their money back. And you don't have a contract because you're a noob in business and you didn't cover your ass. <laughs> oh no. Is there a specific episode about this? Yeah, it's this one. I think first and foremost, you obviously need a contract. Contracts are key. And uh, my favorite line to use when the client project is not going well is as per your contract. And then I will copy paste the section of the contract where we talk about number of revisions or feedback time or non-refundable deposit and use that language because that's what protects you as a business owner. But if they are requesting all of their money back on a project just because they're unhappy. Sometimes you have to go, at least in the design community, you have to go like a dog with tail between your legs and say, okay, well maybe I'm not understanding. Like, can you show me more specifically what you're after? I'd like to give this another try and figure out if I can do this. And at the end of that try, if we both agree that this isn't going anywhere, then we can sort it out from there, which I've done multiple times. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But on the ones that it works, you're creating a really good relationship with that person because even if you didn't knock it out of the park on round one, just showing them that you want to sit down and like really take in what they're saying and really try to understand their business and do a good job, I think speaks volumes. I think it goes back to also being an education process of like, this is why I can't give you your money back. And it's because I spent X amount of hours doing X amount of work. Again, it would help if you had a contract, but um, this happened time and time again in the wedding industry this last year with COVID postponing or canceling a lot of weddings. Everyone wanted full refunds. All of the couples were like, we didn't get our wedding day. Okay. We didn't get our end product. So we should get all of our money back where it fell on me to educate a lot of clients of like, you can't get all your money back from your florist because one, the deposit was non-refundable. You agreed to that in the contract, but you can't get your money back because they've spent that money on staffing and a rental space, an office space and ordering materials. And they had to purchase all of your flowers and purchase the foam that it goes in and the water and all of this and all of that. And yes, there's an end product, but just because you didn't get that end product doesn't mean that they didn't spend any of your money. You know, it's the whole, like they met with you, they put together proposals, they emailed it, all this stuff. So like there is a whole process behind an end product. And I think a lot of the times couples were like, well, you know, my wedding day didn't happen. So like, I didn't get any of my flowers or I didn't get my cake or I didn't get, you know, the wedding, whatever, then I should get all my money back. And it's like, no, you don't get all your money back because we spent all of this time and months and months, almost a year of planning. And that money was to cover all of that time, effort and resources to plan that. Yep. Exactly. And I think it goes also to setting boundaries and setting uh, examples for what good client feedback looks like as well. Um, so if somebody just says, yeah, this isn't what I'm looking for. I don't want this. Then, okay, what about it? Do you not like, because you've approved the mood board, you've approved the colors. We had a conversation about your brand questionnaire. So I'm, I'm creating based on what you've already confirmed to me. And if it's still not fitting, then I need you to show me specific examples of what you are looking for. Because 
again, like if all the groundwork, everything was a go up until now, and now they're just saying, I don't like it. That's like the worst feedback ever because that doesn't give you anything constructive to work off of. And on top of that, if they're saying, I don't like it and I'd like my money back, to me, that's a no-go. But you can't really enforce that if you don't have a contract. So contract is going to be key. Absolutely key. The next question says, how do you find a middle ground between a client who appreciates your help and can see growth, but they have so many revisions, last minute changes, comments, suggestions that are driving you nuts because they create extra work because you're scheduling things in advance. This is specific to social media management. So um, maybe somebody who like signs on, for example, for a wedding and things are going great. They're like, oh my gosh, I trust you. That's great. And then after the fact, they came back with like a million things that they want to see differently. I think it's creating a workflow and a process at the beginning of, I mean, I have a question that says like, exactly what do you want from your wedding? Like describe exactly how you want to feel on your wedding day, how your guests want to feel on your wedding day, how, you know, you want it to look and like all that kind of stuff. And just always kind of keeping that big picture and throughout the process saying, if you want end result to be this big picture, this is how I think we need to do it. And just kind of standing firm in your process and in your experience and your expertise and just saying, you know, I know that we're on the same page about what we want the end result to be. And this is how we're going to get there, (laughs) that kind of thing. And just sticking true to your process instead of letting people dictate all this certain things. But then again, they're also, you have to pick and choose your battles a little bit too. And sometimes you got to let the client win one or two of their battles. And again, looking at that big picture, like if they, if I really think that they should have gold flatware on their head table, but they just want to use the venue's standard silver flatware, is it really in the big picture going to make a huge difference about how their guests feel about their wedding? Probably not. So like, sure, you can have this one. We'll change the color to what you want or we'll change the start time. But if they want the ceremony start time to be an hour later, which is going to change the whole, you know, what time they take sunset pictures and what time dinner is served and what time dancing happens and all that, the big scope of the big picture, that's when you need to stay true of like, listen, I know we talked about you really wanting X, Y, and Z. If you do it the way you want to do it, that's not going to happen. And keeping true to their goals and keeping true to, like you said, positioning yourself as an expert is going to be the biggest thing. Weeding out the red flags from the get is going to be the biggest thing. Having a locked up contract with very clear boundaries. So I don't take messages from clients over text or over Instagram DM or over email. Everything, if they want me to make an edit to their project needs to come through Basecamp. And that is just a hard limit I set because I'm not going to be in my phone when I'm on a call with a client or when I'm in the middle of a logo design. It just doesn't work with my process. So if you want things to be fixed, then they need to go through the system that I've set up for us to communicate because details get lost. You're in a different kind of situation. Obviously, you've got brides. Things are moving quickly, especially up until wedding day. So that may be different, but I think setting those expectations clear and then reinforcing them. So when a client does text you and, or Instagram message me, and then I say, hey, this is a great idea. Let's start a thread in Basecamp so we can keep track. Because also if your project goes sideways, you want a paper trail of all the times you ask them, please use the tools I've provided. Please use the tools I've provided. This, your invoice is past due. Your invoice is past due again. Your invoice is past due. All of our social media posts will stop until your invoice is paid. You want that proof right there to say, yeah, I've reached out to you four times about this project and you haven't given me the material I need to do my job. So 
we're not going to be a good fit. Like that's, you're building your evidence for a good case or a bad case at all times for your business. So I think having boundaries and limits and then sticking to them is really important. And social media and social media management, people can take advantage of this really easily because there's this urgency of like, well, this post has to go out right now and this post has to go here. And the way I kind of mitigate that with my clients is I say, anything you want to post on your own social media for your brand, go for it. But like you hired me to do a job. So if you want me to do my job, you have to use my systems because I'm not like, I'm not on your internal team. I'm not your assistant. I'm not your Instagram bitch. Like if you would like to post it in real time, knock yourself out. But if you want us to post it and have it be well-branded and well thought out and well executed, then it needs to go through the systems that we've established. Uh, Okie dokie. Next question. As many clients as you've worked with, are there ones that have slipped through the cracks and become nightmares that you didn't anticipate? So is there a project that you've had where it started off like, oh, this is going to be so cool. And then it just went, no, this is not okay. Yes. It's become kind of a theme recently with my COVID couples that have postponed Um, of the ones who eloped. They lose a lot of stamina and a lot of like momentum to keep planning a wedding after they've eloped. And so they then lose a lot of motivation to like get things done and like keep going. And as you said, weddings are very fast paced. Like you need to like get quotes and then sign them and then email the vendor and constantly talking with everyone. And when there's that like communication block with anyone within the entire team, whether it's the planner, the photographer, the client, whatever, it makes things drag on and become so much harder to execute when there's one person who's not making decisions or in the loop or actively communicating. And so that's been something that I've adjusted to this last year. Cause I'm so used to couples being obviously very motivated and so excited for their wedding day. And we want to get stuff done and we want to sign contracts. And we kind of want to keep this project moving. And they're just always looking forward to that date. And now a lot of couples are like, well, I don't know, we're already married. So I guess we don't really care, which has been like, then on my job to like, keep them motivated and keep them going and everything. And again, like when someone's not excited about a project, it makes everyone like less excited. So that's been interesting. And that's something that I've actually like changed within my contract due to COVID is if you postpone my services are put on basically a pause until about a month before your wedding. So that the idea being everything was already planned. We postponed it so that, you know, everything just continues. I put it on a pause. And then about a month before your wedding, we pick up where we left off because right now the couple that I have they eloped and they completely wanted to completely change what they were doing originally for their wedding, which I understand it's no longer a wedding. They already got married. So we're not doing a ceremony anymore. It's just a reception and it's got a a totally different vibe. We're going with a new venue, new vendors, new style, new colors, new everything. So I'm basically replanning a wedding with the same cost of my original planning, but with a couple that doesn't care about their wedding. So it's so exhausting. And the other level to that, and I think about this in my projects as well, is how do you feel about unsolicited opinions from people who aren't involved in the process? So for example, you're working with couples, you're probably more often working closely with the bride. What do you do when like the groom swoops in and is like, we're doing this, we're not doing that, we're not doing that, we're not doing that, all the way down your, what you've been doing for months. I've had that happen (laughs) multiple times. 
it's just a conversation you need to have. And it's actually something I have in my contract because it's not necessarily the groom that this happens a lot with, but it happens a lot with parents because um, especially in Texas, a lot of the parents are financially involved in planning the wedding. And so they want their opinions to be heard and they want, you know, a say in how things are going to be done. They're probably more traditional than how we're doing things now. And I actually have a line in my contract that says this person, this one person is the sole decision maker for the wedding. So I have them write their name on the line, whether it's the bride, whether it's the groom, whether it's the mother of the bride, mother groom, whoever it is, but they as a party have to decide this is who's making decisions. And this is the only person I will listen to when it comes down to a tiebreaker or if someone's not on the same page, this is the only person I'm listening to per my contract. So if I have all the time bride saying, I want to do it this way. And then the mom coming to me behind the bride's back without the bride knowing saying like, Oh, I know she wants it this way, but really we're doing it this way. And I just show them the contract and I say, I'm sorry, but I'm contractually obligated to listen to my client. To listen to one person. So smart. Because it happens with business partners as well, where you can start down this whole project with one of the business partners and then one of them sees the work and they go, yeah, I don't like that. It's like, well, where were you on the discovery call, the mood board, the confirmation of the aesthetics, the first presentation? It takes the, again, it takes the responsibility off of you and puts it on the client of like, listen, I'll take direction from anyone. I will do whatever anyone wants, but it has to be one person and it has to be one person that you guys have agreed on. So like you guys decide who's the decision maker and you guys can decide what you want and then have that person come to me and tell me what they want. I'm not going to ask every single person on this team, which direction we're going in. Right. Because there needs to be a captain of the ship. There has to be a point person on the project. Otherwise it makes your life much harder and you're not their therapist. You're not their relationship therapist. I had a project once where we did the brand design for these two brands that were kind of like running parallel to each other. Um, one was like the parent company of the baby company, which was more of a startup and the startup branding went great. And so they hired me for kind of the bigger parent company and I started doing the branding and they said, Oh, we just want the two to match. And I said, well, that's not the smartest idea because you're going to cause confusion for X, Y, Z. I said, I think you should do it like this. And so I presented it. And then the business partner came out of nowhere and said, no, we want the same logo that we already have just in a different color. And I said, well, that's not what I've been hired to do. And also you haven't been involved in this process. Like that goes against everything that you say your goals are. That goes against everything that you say as far as positioning yourself as the expert and becoming known in your industry and carving out space for yourself in the niche to be really creative and really expressive. So that doesn't align at all with the goals that your business partner has been telling you for the last two months. So I don't know why now you're coming in at the 11th hour when like your input would have been really valued from square one. So I think having those limits, and that was a project that I said, you know, this isn't going to be a good fit. I, I got to bow out. Like you guys clearly have some, some issues to work out. And I, that client got nasty on me and told me how I, wow, you made such a huge mistake. I can't believe you're doing this. Your business is going to suffer because of this. You burned a bridge with me, blah, blah, blah. This was also at the beginning of COVID where I said, you know what? Like this was really at the beginning of COVID. I said, I don't know what's going to happen with my family's businesses. I, I wish you guys all the best luck, but this clearly isn't a good fit. I need to take a step back. I'm not going to be working with you any longer. And she flipped on me, flipped. And I felt badly because she was a referral from another client that I really, really liked. So now 
reputation too, I think is a big part of this with client red flags. It's like protect the people that refer you good business. So I messaged the girl who referred me this client and I said, Hey, just so it's not coming out of left field and without getting into details, I just want you to let you know, like so-and-so and I are not working together on her project anymore. I don't need to say any more than that, but just didn't want you to be surprised. And she messaged me back immediately. She's like, yeah, she's batshit crazy. And I was like, well, thanks. Like, thanks for that stuff. They're like, yeah, she's a nightmare to work with. And I was like, okay, well, now I feel much better because I don't feel so insecure now about how the project went because I just got confirmation from this person that I do like and respect that that person is not a good fit. So maybe you have like a very loose without getting into details example of how your reputation, especially in an entrepreneurship community, can sometimes precede you. I think I have like run into this situation a few times with clients with red flags. You have to kind of weigh the cost of if I quit this client, is their negative review or whatever they think of me going to affect my business more than if I keep this client and this is the work that I'm projecting out in the work product, this the product and the wedding that I'm putting my name on, is that what I want my reputation to be? I would almost rather have, not almost, I would absolutely rather have one person say, oh, I didn't like her because she didn't want to take my wedding versus having their wedding out there that was poorly executed, poorly planned, whatever with my name on it. And in the wedding industry specifically, yes, your bride is your client, but your vendors are truly your repeat clients. Like my vendors work with me all the time. So when I get a really good bride, I want to take them to my vendors. And when my vendors get a really good bride, they want to take them to me because we have that working relationship. And so I was thinking about booking a client, the one that I quit last week. And I was thinking about, okay, like, would it just be easier to just take her on and like suck it up for six months and plan her wedding? But then I thought about it and I said, I don't want to take her to any single one of my vendors. I don't want her name and her way that she's doing business to be associated with me at all. I don't want her to go to my, you know, normal florist or photographer or cake person and say, oh yeah, I'm Sarah's client, but then act so rude and so disrespectful towards these people that I truly respect because then they're going to say, wow, Sarah's clients really suck. They're horrible. And I hate working with Sarah's clients. They're so difficult. And so that reputation is almost worse than maybe the one bad review or whoever that person is talking to saying like, oh, you know, the worst thing they can say is she didn't want to take me as a client. And then that almost says more about them than it does you as a business. But I mean, it's, I think it's so much better to just have that one opinion than have that whole project and that whole, you know, end product and everyone that you bring in to collaborate on it. And the stress and the layers of like feeling uncomfortable. And then you, and then it doesn't even matter the dollar amount anymore because you just begrudge the project. And I feel this way sometimes about client projects where if I presented it and then they have a million and five edits and they're like, I had a client tell me once, like, I wish you would get excited about my project. Like you get excited about everyone else's. I said, yeah, I did before you gave me 500 edits. Like what? Like I gave you a really high quality work product based on what you asked for the first go. And like, I'm not too proud to not say that like, yeah, things can be adjusted and refined and everything like that. But I put time and care and effort into that concept. So it's weird to me because I also feel like now as my business has grown, there's some people that want to work with me out of like a, oh, well, Michelle designed my logo, like as kind of a positioning thing because they want me to talk about them on my social media. 
which to me is that's the wrong reason to be working with me. Like work for me because I do a good job and not because you want me to shout you out all over social because you think you're going to gain something from it. And when I start to notice that shift with clients, it really turns me off from them because it makes me feel like, like we did in middle school when our friends would say, Oh, can I come over and use your pool this weekend? It's like, wait, do you want to be my friend or do you want to just come use my pool? It's just such an icky feeling. And I think that happens as well too. That happens with photographers or website designers in the area with sales coaches with that's, it goes across a lot of industries with coaches, but there's, it's kind of a slippery slope too, because you want to do right by the client, but then there's just some people that you just don't jive with and that's okay. But every time that a client project goes sideways, I try to make a list of okay, how can I avoid that kind of thing happening in the future? What were the red flags? And how can I identify and even further tweak my ideal client avatar in a way that might exclude that demographic? And I think one of the biggest things to not have to quit a client or anything is just to not even take them on in the first place. Like, you know, identifying those red flags, but also making your inquiry process so extensive that you put all of your hey, these are my, like you come up with your own, like you have to meet these qualifications if you want to be my client. Because if you don't, if you don't meet those qualifications, you're probably one of my red flag clients that I don't want to even work with. So in my process, they have to fill out my contact form, which they say, obviously like venue date, I make them put their budget on the inquiry form. Um, and then I say, why do you want to work with me? Why do you want to work specifically with me? Cause then they'll say, Oh, because you know, I just want to see what your prices are. Or I just saw one of your videos on TikTok." or they'll say like, I love that picture that you just put on Instagram. It's so beautiful and curated. And I love how you do the design boards or, you know, I've seen your behind the scenes processes and I think they're really great. That already is like, okay, what are they coming here for. And then before I even get on a phone call with them, they have to fill out another questionnaire. That's like a inquiry questionnaire. And again, it says, what's your budget? This is my minimum budget. If you don't meet it. Yeah. I said, my minimum budget is this. Are you aware of this? Are you, is your budget flexible to come up to this if it's not at that point? And I also put in my questionnaire, do you want to be featured in a magazine or do you want this wedding to be something that could be featured in a publication? Is that something that's important to you? Because if they're saying yes, then that even positions me further in the process when they question, well, what should I be doing? Or I want to do it this way. And I say, Hey, listen, if you want, if your end result is to be in a magazine or on the cover or whatever, this is how we need to do it. Um, and so, cause sometimes people, like I said, you know, they don't want the gold flatware. They just want the standard one at the venue. But I'm saying like, this is going to take you to the next level. This is going to, you know, do that, whatever. So whatever that end goal is, put it immediately in your inquiry process and say, is this something that's important to you? Because it's something that's important to me. I want to produce really high quality events that are gorgeous and stunning and, you know, but also like filled with love and personality and all of these things. This is what's important to me. Is it also important to you? And if all, if they check all those boxes and they all align, then they're probably going to be your ideal client. If they're like, "Mm, nope, that's not really important to me. I just want to have a really good party and get drunk with my friends, which is fine. Like I said, there's no right way or wrong way to do a wedding, but that's not the kind of events that I want to do. I mean, to wrap it all up, I think this goes back to the like client onboarding questionnaire episode that I have as well, making sure you're asking the right questions, making sure your process is really explained that you have the deliverables, you have your, your workflow set up, your tools that you use. 
And then that all becomes part of your upsell when you are on the call with the ideal client to say like, Hey, this is why this is how we do things. And this is why I charge what I charge because these things are all lined up for you. And I know I can deliver a high quality work product when I stick to my process and I stick to the way that I know how to execute. And that's what you're paying for is you're paying for not only my opinion and the help, but you're also paying for the, I'm making your life easier. I'm making your life way easier by taking a lot of this off your plate because I've done this before and I know how to do this well. And, and that's what you're paying for. So I think that eliminates a lot of client red flags. There was a question I, I asked about, or someone had asked me over Instagram DMs asking, what are you supposed to do when someone else copies you? And that's not necessarily a client question, but it is kind of a business question as a red flags thing. And I think it relates to what we were talking about with reputations but have you had that happen before? And what's been your approach when you feel like someone's copying you or what advice do you have when you feel like someone's copied you? It's so, the idea of people copying you is such an interesting idea because truly like what is an original idea anymore? And so I, I mean, I've had people copy my designs and whatever, but like I also took inspiration from someone else's designs and all that stuff. So I just say, you know what? Like there's only only you can do what you do and only you can do it in that way. And if someone else wants to copy it, great. You know, they found something that you did that they liked and they wanted to recreate it. Awesome. And it says more about them than it says about you. I think it's especially if it's someone who is bigger, badder than you, who's copying you and you, there's like that ranking going on. Like I think of Jet Set Christina and how Zara stole her bathing suit designs and was printing bathing suits with the design that she created. That's problematic, right? So that's stealing where it's like they're getting a significant profit off of the back of somebody else. And that's wrong. So the flip side is if it's someone, and in this case in particular, it was someone who's very, very new to business who was then copying this person who is clearly years ahead of that other person. Um, but they were having a really hard time with it because they said, why would you copy me? Even if you are just starting out, why would you copy me? Like that's so wrong, blah, blah, blah. And I just came from a place of like, you know what? Sometimes it's not worth the mental calories trying to educate that person because any normal person I think would see that that's wrong to like lift the copy off someone's website or to you do the same exact logo or same exact color palette. But it's also, if you're doing you and you can like keep the blinders on you say like, yeah, good luck with that because it's not really founded in strategy. It doesn't really fit your brand voice. Yeah. Just make your brand, your product and your service. So enmeshed in your own personality and style and whatever that no one's truly ever going to be able to recreate that or completely copy it because it is completely you. Like my Instagram page is my weddings, but it's also like my face and a lot of pictures of me and what I'm doing throughout the day. No one's going to be doing exactly what I'm doing and no one makes design boards exactly the way that I make them. And so just have your brand or service or product be so enmeshed in who you are as a person that like you said, it's unpredictable. It's not able to be copied because it's not a formula and it's not like an XYZ thing. It's just like, I mean, sometimes I'll post like, Hey, this is what I'm feeling today. Or like, you know, look at this really cool idea I came up with, but no one's truly ever going to be able to perfectly recreate that. And the right people will, will 
care about that kind of thing and the right people will not care. So your ideal client probably wants to work with you. They're not looking at every other designer under the sun to be like, oh, well, maybe I could work with all these other people. So at that point, that, that person having the same logo or the same copy or the same messaging as you is doesn't matter. There's so many brand designers out there. There's so many wedding planners out there. And if you're not defining like whatever it is that is like your unique value add, then you're missing the point and you're getting distracted um, because imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, I think. Um, and I mean, like, I don't own the color yellow or hats. Like, that's, those are two very general things. And I've had people DM me like, oh, so-and-so is doing your bit. And I'm like, yeah, but they're not. Like, it's okay. Like, those, are, those don't belong to me. So I don't, I don't look at that as copying. Copying's different than stealing, too, which I have a old IGTV I should... should uh, retell the story on another podcast episode um, because that one gets pretty heated. But I think uh, all of these are red flags. And I think when there is someone who's shady in business, um, you know, giving them the attention that it needs and then moving on is the best thing. But knowing like that person just lost a referral source out of you, like it's their own fault. They burned a bridge with you and that's not very smart to do in business either. And burning bridges, like it tells a lot about the business owner. I know because you've had this experience with someone who burned a bridge with you and now it's, you're not going to refer them business. You're not going to bring them brides. You're not going to, to want to work with them because that experience was so telling as the kind of business owner that they were. And I think we'll leave it at that without getting into detail. Save the wedding tea for another day. Save the tea for another day when we can have some like cocktails and like bleep out some names. But in the meantime, don't forget to rate, follow, subscribe, and come over to the Facebook group, Kiss My Aesthetic. If you liked this episode, if you learned something, share us your stories, connect with us online. Sarah, where can everybody find you, follow you? You can find me on Instagram at Sistered States. You can also find me on TikTok at Dallas Wedding Planner. And if you need to work with Sarah in Dallas because you're engaged, then please do so. Or anywhere, true destinations. Hey, uh, find me at MKW Creative Co. Online, every social platform. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. For show notes on what we've discussed today, links to anything that might be relevant, go to mkwcreative.co slash kmapod. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, all the happy stuff wherever you listen to podcasts. And come join us in the Facebook group, Kiss My Aesthetic. We would love to see you there. Have a great day.